Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Bismillah. قد روي في معنى القلب أخبار كثيرة ومنها أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال إن من المؤمنين من يلين له قلبي وقال عليه الصلاة والسلام إن الحق يأتي وعليه نور فعليكم بسرائر القلوب القلوب. So he said uh, it's it's narrated Many things have been narrated from the Prophet regarding the idea of the heart. Among them is the saying of the Prophet from the believers, there are those who my heart becomes soft towards them. It's hard to translate, it's a bad translation. It's like basically my heart is at ease with them. From the believers are those whom my heart is at ease with them. And he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, truth comes and upon it there is light. So make sure to take heed as to the matters, uh, like the subtleties of the hearts. So uh, this narration is very questionable attribution to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, but the meaning of it is that the idea that I believe Imam al-Muhasibi is trying to convey is that there is this reality of the heart and the heart is a spiritual organ by which we comprehend and perceive things and in order to purify it in order for it to be in a good place we have to pay attention to its subtleties and we have to find like its moments of arrogance its moments of um, its, its issues you know the heart's issues and if we don't take care of those issues that are in the heart then its capacity to see truth will be limited. And it, the heart will become uh, overwhelmed, in a sense, by darkness rather than light. So what he's trying to say, uh, I believe, is that there, uh, we pay attention to this because when something that's true comes to us, it comes and there's light upon it. But if we don't, uh, if we don't tend to the heart, if we don't tend to the heart, oh, they're fine. They're fine. I feel you. Yeah, why are you pooping? Is he on? What's wrong there? 
If we don't tend to the heart, then when those things come and they have truth upon them, then we won't be able to see it because the heart will be covered with darkness and that darkness will make it so that we can't recognize the light that's on that thing that's true. So he's saying that we have to engage in this process that uh, helps us to deal with that. وقال ابن مسعود رضي الله عنه لنقلوب شهوة وإقبال وفترة وإدبار فاغتنموها عند شهوتها وإقبالها وذروها عند فترتها وإدبارها So Ibn Mas'ud رضي الله عنه Of course we know Ibn Mas'ud is Abdullah Ibn Mas'ud The great companion of the Prophet وسلم, From the early converts of Islam you remember Ibn Mas'ud's, uh, his first incident with the Prophet Amazing incident, right? That Ibn Mas'ud is in the, he, he was a shepherd and he didn't come from like a powerful family or something like that. He was a shepherd and he had these sheep and he's out in the outside of the city and all of a sudden, in the distance, he sees these two old men coming towards him. And it turns out that it's Prophet and Abu Bakr and he's young. And they look very tired and fatigued and all of these kind of things. And then as they come closer, they say to Abdullah, they say, oh boy, you know, give us some milk from the sheep that you have. So he says, I can't do that because they're not my sheep. But imagine, like he's this young, this young kid and these old, older men are coming to him. He's in the countryside. Nobody's around, right? And he tells them, I can't do that, these are not my sheep. I'd give it to you, but they're not my sheep to be able to give you the milk in the first place. So the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr, they just smiled and they were kind of like happy, you know? They respected it. They respect the stance of this, this kid, you know? And uh, so he, the Prophet ﷺ tells him, then bring me one of the sheep that is basically not old enough that it will be giving milk yet. Right? So he's like, okay. So he brings one of those sheep. And the Prophet ﷺ goes to the udder of the sheep and he says, Bismillah. He says, Allah. And he starts to milk, the, the sheep fills up with milk and he starts to milk the milk. This kid's watching it like, what is going on, right? So he, he drinks it and gives some to, or he gives some to Abu Bakr, he takes some for himself. They give some to Ibn Mas'ud, he drinks some. And then he says, they say thank you. And uh, then Abdullah ibn Mas'ud says to them, uh, like basically teach me this thing that you did it's not about like it wasn't necessarily at that moment about iman or not but he's like this is a cool thing you know <laughs> like there's there's some kind of knowledge that this guy has teach me this thing that you have so the prophet sallallahu told him innaka he told him basically you are a learned kid basically you're a learned a learned boy and that was the end of the interaction. But that put the heart, that put it in, the, in his heart this idea of he wants to know about Islam. He, he became a Muslim. And anyway, so Abdullah ibn Mas'ud is with the Prophet from very early on. And with, in all of the situations that happen, he's growing up on the hands of the Prophet and he stays with him his whole life. Till after the life of the Prophet he's continuing and he's very knowledgeable and respectable and all of these kind of things. And uh, eventually in the time of Sayyidina Umar Iraq is now becoming, Kufa in particular in Iraq, is becoming a major city. A lot of people are settling, settling there, Muslims are there, big, big situation there, right? So, 
they need someone to teach them. And uh, Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anh, he sends Abdullah ibn Mas'ud and he tells them, uh, uh, he told them, أَثَرْتُكُمْ عَلَى نَفْسِي بِعَبْدِ اللَّهِ أَثَرْتُكُمْ عَلَى نَفْسِي بِعَبْدِ اللَّهِ He said to them, I have preferred you over myself by sending, <laughs> I have preferred you over myself by sending you Abdullah. Meaning, he's saying, I wish I could keep Abdullah ibn Mas'ud with me. In Medina, right? I need someone like him. But I'm preferring you over myself by sending him to you so that he can teach you. And actually, the all, you know, Kufa becomes in the time of, right after this, becomes basically the center of learning for the early period of Islam. The major Qurra are in Kufa, the major Fuqaha are in Kufa, the major Muhaddithin even are in Kufa, the major Lughawiyin are in Kufa, the scholars of the Arabic language. So all, everything is happening in Kufa, but a lot of that starts with Abdullah bin Mas'ud. And it also starts after that with Sayyidina Ali moving to Kufa. Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu. So they say that, for example, the school of Abu Hanifa radiallahu ta'ala anhu is the extension of the school of Abdullah bin Mas'ud and Sayyidina Ali. But primarily Abdullah bin Mas'ud. So Abdullah bin Mas'ud, I'm saying all of this so that we understand that this is a very important figure. Abdullah bin Mas'ud is a very important figure. Uh, he said what? He said hearts have desires and things that they go towards. And they have valleys and things that they turn away from. Okay, so what is he? He's commenting on the nature of the heart. The nature of the heart is like this. Sometimes the heart is, is strong and it's excited and it has things that it wants to do. And sometimes the heart is just not really feeling whatever it's up to, you know? This is too cute. Inshallah. So the heart sometimes is into things, sometimes it's not into things. So Ibn Mas'ud, he said, فَاغْتَنِمُوهَا عِنْدَ شَهْوَتِهَا وَإِقْبَالِهَا وَذَرُوهَا عِنْدَ فَتْرَتِهَا وَإِدْبَارِهَا He said, so when you find that strength in your heart, take advantage of that. And when you find that, that kind of like weakness in your heart and that past in your heart, then just leave it alone. Isn't that really interesting? ذَرُوهَا Leave it alone. So he said, when you find the strength in the heart, go for it. Uh, sometimes you have days and you're like, I'm feeling it today. Get it in that day. Help people, make salat, give charity, worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, do all of the good. And then you might have another day where it's just like, you're just not feeling it. Okay, I'm going to do my fard, do some sunnah, do some basic things. And that's it. I'm just going to let it pass. And if I let it pass, it passes. If I sit there and I fight with it, it's really interesting. Someone asked me about this recently with regards to qabd. You know qabd? Qabd is like constriction, spiritual constriction. You have this spiritual constriction. It's, it's, it's constriction, right? That's what you're feeling. So what happens when you fight with that? It becomes more constricted, actually. Okay? You feel it even more. You feel the constriction even more. You just leave it. 
you leave it and it passes, it goes away, and then the next thing comes and you move on with it. Everything is okay. وقال ابن مبارك رحمه الله تعالى ابن مبارك is Abdullah also ibn al-Mubarak Abdullah ibn mubarak interestingly he's one of these early righteous people he's also a great scholar of the early period and he's one of the people who was in the circle of Abu Hanifa radiallahu ta'ala anhu as we know that Abu Hanifa basically his he had a big circle about 40 people all of them were big righteous imams in their own rights, but they chose to affiliate themselves with Abu Hanifa out of deference to him. Abu Yusuf, Muhammad, Zufar, uh, uh, many, many others. But from the huge spiritual names, actually, there's a, several of them who are in the circle of Abu Hanifa. One of them is Abdullah ibn Mubarak. Another one is Dawood al-Ta'i. Um, there's a third one. Al-Fudayl, Al-Fudayl ibn Iyad was also in the circle of Abu Hanifa So these were like huge people Abdullah ibn Mubarak, he said Al-Qalbu mithlul mir'an Iza tala mukthuha fil yadi sadi'at Iza tala mukthuha fil yadi sadi'at so he said, the heart is like a mirror. If you leave it uh, too long in your, uh, if you leave it in your heart for too long, then it becomes rusted. Sadiat is rusted, isn't it? Sadiat, yeah, it's like rust. Sheikh Abdul Fatah, he says, والمعنى أن المرآة إذا طال بقاؤها من غير تفقد لها وعناية بها صدئت. So he said, if the heart is left alone, basically what is the meaning? If the heart is left alone and a person is not attending to it and taking care of it, then it becomes rusted. Okay. The heart is left alone, and, it's, and we see this all the time. In community life, you see it all the time. People are like, I don't know what happened, you know, I just drifted away from, from everything. And, and then you start talking to them, and you drifted away from everything because you drifted away from everything. Like you stopped coming to anything, you didn't go to anything, you didn't listen to anyone, you didn't benefit from anything, you didn't come together with people to pray together, to worship together, to do good together. All of the, none of those things were happening. So of course, you know, the, heart, the heart was left alone. The heart, if, if it's... Uh, the Prophet them said that the heart is like... Uh, basically like a cloth almost. Like if it's just left, it will wear down. But you have to renew it. He said you have to renew it by saying La ilaha illallah. So the person, we have to renew our hearts, we have to take care of our hearts, we have to be engaged in this. Otherwise you leave it and it will become rusted, it will become difficult. Uh, it won't be able to function in the same way. Again, we, we don't understand this because our mirrors are not the same. But in the old books they always use this terminology. Our mirrors, they don't get rusted, they don't, for the most part, they don't really like get muddy, um, unclear. But old mirrors were like that. You had to polish them all the time. If you're not polishing it all the time, it, it gets, 
this residue on it. And the residue makes it so that you can no longer see the reflection clearly. So they would always use this in the old books for the matters of the heart. If the heart is left, it has to always be polished. It has to always be polished. You hear that phrase, polishing the heart. Some people, they probably hear it, they don't understand what's happening. Like, what does this even mean? Polishing the mirror of the heart. You're like, I don't polish my mirror. You know, I just... We use some Windex, we wipe it down, we're good to go. You know, what is this polishing? But they would have to actually like sit and rub the mirror and polish it in order to make it so that you can see properly. So the idea here is this analogy with the heart. Uh, and the, the positive thing about this that we should know and we should have good opinion in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala about is that if I do polish the heart and I do put the work into the heart, the heart will improve. It's made for that. It will get better. It will improve. It will. Sometimes it seems impossible. You know, we look at ourselves and it seems impossible. Like, I don't know, you know. I don't think I can get past this. I've been dealing with this thing for a long time. And it's just not going away. But subhanAllah, things do actually, uh, they do change. SubhanAllah. وَكَدَّابَتِ إِذَا غَفَلَ عَنْهَا صَاحِبُهَا هُزِلَتْ and it's like the animal that if it is neglected, if, 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 the, uh, if the animal is neglected by its owner, then it will become weak. Huzilat da'ufat. It means da'ufat. It means that the animal will become weak. They, didn't, they neglected it. Okay, well, if you neglect it, you know, it gives out on you. Everything's the same. Our knowledge gives out on us if we neglect it. Our bodies give out on us if we neglect it. Our hearts give out on us if we neglect them. And what is it that feeds the hearts is following the way of the Prophet them, knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, making dhikr and so on. وَقَالَ بَعْضُ الْحُكَمَاءِ مَثَلُ الْقَلْبِ مَثَلُ بَيْتٍ لَهُ سِتَّةُ أَبْوَابِ ثُمَّ قِيلَ لَكَ إِحْذَرْ أَنْ لَا يَدْخُلَ عَلَيْكَ مِنْ أَحَدٍ أَبْوَابِ شَيْءٍ فَالْقَلْبُ هُوَ الْبَيْتِ وَالْأَبْوَابِ الْلِسَانِ وَالْبَصَرِ وَالسَّمْعِ وَالشَّمْءِ وَالْيَدَانِ وَالْرِجْلَانِ فَمَتَى فَمَنْ فَمَتَن فَتَحَ بَابٌ مِنْ هَذِهِ الْأَبْوَابِ بِغَيْرِ عِلْمٍ ضَاعَ الْبَيْتُ Some of the righteous people, some of the people of wisdom they said the example of the heart is like the example of a home that has six doors it's a home that has six doors to enter from, right? Not the internal doors, the external doors. Six external doors. Again, cue the 500 times we've made a comment on Islamic architecture and architecture of homes and entryways and all this stuff. You just cue it 500 times you've said it. If you haven't heard it before, I'm sorry, I can't repeat it because even I'm tired of it by now. Uh, but old homes used to have more than one door, right? They didn't have one section. One section where like you can't segregate it in any sort of way. It's not how it functioned. Uh, so he's saying the home is like a heart. The heart is like a home that has six doors. And it was said to you, beware from anything entering from any of these doors. Right? Beware. Like anyone who's coming in from any of the doors, you better know who's coming in. Right? You better know what's entering your house. Uh, because if you allow that to happen, then your house will be destroyed. The heart is the house, and the doors are the tongue, the eyes, the ears, the smell, the hands, and the feet. 
So if one of those doors is opened without knowledge, then the entire home will be lost. And the entire home will be lost. Okay, I think it explains itself. So we, now, why is he saying this? Actually, it transitions well. Remember what came before this was that he was talking about how the uh, a person is required to protect the various limbs that they have. And the first of those limbs that he was talking about was the heart. And then he's going to move on from the heart to the other things. So this actually is a good transition to what comes next. He says, فَفَرْضُ النِّسَانِ أَسِدْكُ فِي الرِّضَى وَالْغَضَبِ وَكَفْءُ أَذَى فِي السِّرِّ وَالْعَلَانِيَةِ وَتَرْكُ التَّزَيُّنِ لِلنَّاسِ بِالْخَيْرِ وَالشَّرِّ قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من ضمن لي ما بين لحييه وما بين رجليه ضمنت له على الله الجنة وقال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم Actually let me do this first So the obligation of the tongue is to have صدق What do we say صدق is? Can anyone give me any definition of صدق? Your own or anything that we've said before Truthfulness, okay. What is the sign of truthfulness? What what would be the if you weren't translating it into like now if you had to translate truth, what would you translate it as? Right? Like if you were doing this in Arabic, you wouldn't be able to just give one word. What what's the explanation of sidq? Honesty. Honesty, okay. Same thing. Like similar concepts, yeah. What else? What what does it mean to have sidq? Sincerity, okay. Still giving me one-word definitions, people. Some explanation. What is sidq? Sidq is to have congruence between the inside and the outside. Sidq is for the inside to agree with the outside. To be fully true and honest in that. So all honesty, integrity, sincerity, all of these things. And for the inside to match the outside. So he's saying, what be truthful in your speech. We'll just use truthful. But be truthful in, in, in your speech. When you're in a state of contentment and happiness. And when you're in a state of anger. Actually, both of them are dangers. Hmm? Why? So what happens when you're really happy about something? Don't you usually exaggerate the way you talk about it a little bit? You know? Like, oh, it was the, you know, it was the best food ever. It, it, wait till you go there. It's going to be like the best extra. I can't even believe like the experience that I had. It was incredible and so on and so forth. And then the people go and they're like, yeah, it was good, but it wasn't like that. But there was so much riddah, so much contentment. And happiness with that food experience that the description of it went too far. Actually, one of the places where this can be, uh, we should be careful on this, is with people who we consider to be teachers. We don't want to overpraise them. Actually, overpraising them can become, we want, if, if we believe good of them and so on and so forth, it's, it's okay to mention they're good and like encourage people to benefit and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, if you praise someone so much that no matter what, when someone meets them, they're most likely going to have some level of letdown. 
it's probably not a good thing, you know. You didn't do a service actually even to your teacher at that point. Um, and if they're so, if they're if they're so great, then you say you can say a little bit, but leave some things unsaid, and let people experience themselves, right? Uh, may Allah forgive us sometimes, you know. Out of love, sometimes we exaggerate, or out of rida. Not all exaggeration, by the way, is is untrue. But he's saying definitely. Um, and a lot of times the greatness of people, you don't experience it when you meet them the first time. You experience it over time. So, you know, it can still... Uh, but anyways, we should be truthful even when we're happy with something. And definitely we have to have truthfulness when we're upset with something also. Um, Imam Hassan al-Banna, rahimahullah, had something about this uh, in his advices. Something along the lines of like, don't let the good of a person make it so that you're unable to recognize if they do something wrong. And don't let the bad of a person make it so that you don't recognize, you can't recognize if they do something right and that they have good in them. Right? So both of these are kind of like, we have to maintain that uh, balance of sidq. وَكَفُّ الْأَذَى also is from the obligations of the tongue. كَفُّ الْأَذَى فِي السِّرِّ وَالْعَنَانِيَ MashaAllah, his expressions are really incredible. He says to uh, prevent, uh, to abstain from harm in secret and in the open. In secret and in the open. So sometimes what does it mean? Sometimes we're having a private conversation, one person. Sometimes we're even talking to ourselves. It's not exactly what he's talking about here, but talking maybe one person. And then there's public things. Both cases we shouldn't be speaking in ways that are harmful towards others, right? So to refrain from that harm uh, in public and in private. It's probably the best way to... Uh, in public and in private. وَتَرْكَبْ تَزَيُّنِي لِلنَّاسِ مِنْ خَيْرِ وَالشَّرِ And um, leaving off embellishment, embellishing speech in that which is good and that which is bad. So again, like, there's a normal way to speak. And then there's like an excessively manipulative way to speak, <laughs> you know, when someone knows exactly like when to go up and when to go down and which word to use, and, and then it just becomes like, this is a tazayun, tazayun from kalam. They're beautifying their speech so much so for something good or for something bad, and that can be that. That there's a point at which that's reasonable, obviously. Like you want to convey what you're trying to convey in a way that is effective and so on. And there's a point at which it becomes actually um, not appropriate. And I think we've talked about this before. Actually, one of our teachers in AUC, in the American University in Cairo, he's the one that really messed us up in a, in a good way, maybe on this issue. But he was obsessed with this point. And anything we would read, he would, anytime there was anything in it that was like, look, why did he say that? It didn't actually have to do with the point. It's just to try to like convince you, even though it's not the issue, you know. Um, he would he would get upset about it. Hafidullah. <laughs> and the Prophet ﷺ said, "Whoever can guarantee for me that which is between their two jawbones, this is the statement. Okay, it's a little bit direct. Sometimes, uh, one of the I give you an example. Maybe it will help people understand. Have you ever had?" A relative, let's, let's go with right now in the context of people who are in pretty much native English speakers, okay? 
Have you ever had a relative who said something you really cannot say in the English language and they didn't think it was a big deal? Like you're just talking with them and then they like drop the F word and you're like, whoa, <laughs> like we, we can't just use that, you know? And they're like, why? You know, and they don't understand like the gravity of what they're saying because it's their second language, right? And, then, and across languages, we do this all the time. Okay, so my point is to say that across languages, sometimes we don't, it can go both ways. Sometimes we don't understand the, like sometimes we read something in Arabic, for example, and to us, we read it in Arabic, we're like, whoa, that's really like a very blunt way of saying something. And, but we can know from the life of the Prophet them that whatever expression he's using was not understood for them to be like any sort of uh, way that was not appropriate or something, right? So what does the statement say? It says, Whoever guarantees for me that which is between their two jawbones and between their two legs, I guarantee for them Jannah. I guarantee for them from Allah Jannah. Now what is the statement? The statement is, if they can control their speech, and they can control their, let's call them desires, and what comes from their desires, then I guarantee for them from Allah paradise. Okay, so the, the statement is very clear. And, it's, and this is why um, uh, Imam al-Ghazali, they translated, the, the, that section is called, in the Ihya is called Kasr al-Shahwatayn. And in the, in the translation it's called the chapter on the breaking of the two desires. The two desires are the speech and not only speech but food consumption also. Because both of them happen between the two jawbones, right? Speech and food happen between the two jawbones. And then also, uh, you know, uh, a person's desires. And the Prophet said to Mu'adh ibn Jabal, <laughs> I didn't stop for that. <laughs> I'm just thinking about something. The Prophet them he had these senior companions who he trusted and he entrusted. And he sent them different places. Right? So there's like Mu'ad gets sent to Yemen. That's why I'm thinking about it. Mu'ad ibn Jabal was sent to Yemen. Mu'ad ibn Jabal goes to Yemen. He's been entrusted to teach the people of Islam. He represents the Prophet ﷺ, but he's not the Prophet ﷺ. And he's calling people to the Prophet ﷺ. And Everything that he has insofar as he can, he will give directly from the Prophet ﷺ. And if he cannot do that, then hopefully what he's giving is indirectly still from the Prophet ﷺ. This is a very interesting uh, concept, you know. He said, the Prophet ﷺ said to him, وَهَلْ يَكُبُّ النَّاسَ فِي النَّارِ عَلَى مَنَاخِرِهِمْ إِلَّا حَصَائِلُ أَلْسِنَتِهِمْ He said, are people thrown into the fire on their faces by anything like they are from the harvest of their tongues? Harvest of their tongues is the actual expression. That basically every time we speak, we're planting something. 
and eventually we reap the harvest of what we planted. The ultimate harvest is in the hereafter. So he's saying to him, the biggest thing that gets people in that situation is that they end up the, the things that they say. Because that's from the long hadith where the Prophet mentioned all these different things. He mentioned salat, he mentioned zakat, he mentioned fasting, he mentioned jihad, he mentioned all these things, commanding good, forbidding evil, so on. Then at the end he told Mu'adh, do I not tell you what controls all of that? Mu'adh said, yes. He said, to hold your tongue. The Prophet stuck out his tongue, he held his tongue, he said, to hold, to hold this. Hold on to this. And then Mu'adh was like, Ya Rasulullah, that? You know? And then the Prophet said this statement. Does anything get people thrown into the hellfire on their faces? Like the harvest of their tongues. وَقَالَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ أُنذِرُكُمْ فُضُولَ الْكَلَامِ حَسْبُ أَحَدِكُمْ مَا يَبْلُغُ بِهِ حَاجَةً فَإِنَّ الرَّجُلَ يُسْأَلُ عَنْ فُضُولِ كَلَامِهِ كَمَا يُسْأَلُ عَنْ فُضُولِ مَالِهِ And this is ليس بحديث This is not actually a hadith He put it in the book as if it is But you know He was to the best of what we know This is not a hadith uh, but the meaning is sound, as we said before. Usually you'll find that the statement itself, we can technically say, okay, was it a hadith, is it not, so on and so forth. But the meaning is being put there for a reason. The meaning is, he's saying, I warn you about excessive speech. It suffices a person to say that which fulfills their need. And a person is asked about their excessive speech the way that they are asked about their excessive wealth. Again, what is fudul? Remember, anyone remember what is fudul? What you should, maybe you have the image in your head. Yeah. There's a cup. The cup gets filled. After it gets filled, it spills over. That's the fudul. Okay? So fudul in speech is speech that's not necessary. It's extremely rare to find people who are good at this, actually. This is like a very, very difficult thing. And if you try it, it's, it's hard to do. And um, especially for people who are in teaching positions, because sometimes it's, it's really difficult to figure out what's enough and what's too much. You know, there's, you know people come. They want to hear something. Okay. At one point have I said too much? It's very. It's not the easiest thing to figure out. So, um, anyways, he says that, uh, they'll be asked about their excessive speech the way that they're ex asked about their excessive wealth. The wealth is similar. What does what is the wealth that the person actually needs? Enough for their home, enough for their shelter, enough for, to cover their body, enough to fulfill their nutritional needs. Enough to whatever, whatever it is, people can figure that out. You know, we can all figure that out for ourselves. And after that, there's a level at which it's extra. It's not This doesn't necessarily mean that the person is automatically sinful for what they do in the extra. Okay, that's not what this is saying. But it's just saying now, once you go into the extra, you're asked about it. <laughs> so I could say I could say more than I need to say, and there's no sin in it. But now is going to be like you're going to be asked about it now. You know, now it's in, into the realm of uh, you know, may Allah help us. 
I don't know why I'm smiling. That's actually extremely scary. وَقَالَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ عِنْدَ لِسَانِ كُلِّ قَائِلٍ فَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ مْرَأٌ عَلِمَ مَا يَقُونَ Allah. What a beautiful statement. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It says, Allah, of course, Allah, Allah is, doesn't, isn't defined by place, isn't defined by time, isn't defined by any of these things, right? So just understand that when you, it says, Allah is, it means he's like with the tongue of every person who speaks. Okay, if you were to just interpret this for the sake of simplicity, it means basically every single time someone opens their mouth, Allah's knowledge encompasses whatever is coming out of their mouth, right? And then he says, ha imra'un." Okay, you have to make sure you get the grammar right on this one because Arabs, usually modern Arabs, they just go by the order of the sentence, so they get confused. If, so if you want me to. Um, فَاتَّقَ إِمْرَأٌ اللَّهَ عَلِمَ مَا يَقُونَ This means basically um, uh, So let the person fear Allah in what they say. Right. Is that what that means? I have a note here but I'm not really sure that that's what that means. وَمَعْنَا Let's see what he said. وَمَعْنَا فَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ إِمْرَأٌ اَيْ فَلْيَتَّقِ اللَّهَ إِمْرَأٌ So let a person fear Allah. فَاتَّقَى فِعْلٌ مَاضٍ بِمَعْنَا فِعْلٌ أَمْرٍ Yeah. Okay. So let them fear Allah and what they say and let them know what they are saying. And let them know what they are saying. So both of them, you can understand both of them as if they're command. Alima also. So let a person fear Allah and what they're saying and let them know what they're saying. Right? You should know what's coming out of your mouth. My mom, you know, God bless her with Iman. Give her a long life and keep her with us always. She would always tell us, you know, say what you mean and mean what you say. Say what you mean and mean what you say. And she is very, uh, she is very economical in her speech. <laughs> yeah. Very economical in her speech, subhanAllah. You could sit with my mom, like, I've said this before, you can sit with my mom. If you sit with her for more than a few minutes, all your secrets of life are going to come out. Because she won't talk. <laughs> but she'll, but you really feel like she really wants to hear what you have to say. So once you get past like the really superficial stuff, you're just and she's still looking at you, and you're like, "All right, <laughs> I guess I'm gonna tell mom about the Medjlis tonight." And she's like, "She's not Muslim. She like she doesn't. What does the Medjlis? She doesn't like. She cares because it's her son, but it's not her thing, you know." You just you start talking, Subhanallah. So 
time to stop yet because when I think about my mom, I get kind of emotional. I, I think it is. I think he said 6.35. Huh? Yes, no, anyone know? Yeah, any questions anyone has? That's a good place to stop, actually, because then we're on a, a new one. That finishes the tongue. It takes us to a new one on the, on the vision. Anyone have any questions? Yeah. That's a really interesting question. That's a really interesting question. I don't know how to summarize it. In the time of the Prophet there's so many things going on where people really, I mean basically where people really like thinking about and talking about the heart in these kind of ways and uh, or where is this something that came later? Essentially, right? So, um, you see, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of commentary on the heart in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu in the heart, in the body, there's a piece of the flesh, you know, there's a morsel of flesh. If it's good, the whole body's good. If it's bad, the whole body is bad. It's the heart. Now, there's many hadith that talk about this, but obviously here we're going a little bit deeper. Um, oftentimes, what the Prophet does for us is that he gives us the framework. And then people who come later and they talk about things, they might go a little bit deeper. They might. But definitely, even, I mean, look, we. That, se that second question, I spent Ibn Mas'ud. Ibn Mas'ud was, you know, we were talking about the heart. He, he gave this commentary on the heart. You'll find the Sahaba talk about these things. Um, and, you know, this is an important discipline of Islamic studies that's sometimes neglected. Um, that being said, Heart is a very interesting thing because it learns in a different way than the mind. So what am I trying to say? If I want to learn law, Islamic law, I can sit down. I need a teacher who's going to help me, but they're going to help me understand just how to understand it. And they're going to explain it and I'm going to understand it, and we're okay. When it comes to the heart, 
someone can explain the basic concepts, you know, there's a heart, the heart is like this, it goes up, it goes down, it increases, it decreases, it has good days, it has bad days. You're supposed to be patient, you're supposed to be grateful, you're supposed to do these things, and you're supposed to avoid these things. You can explain all of those kind of things, but they don't take the person to a realization of those things. The realization of those things requires a level of what they would refer to as experiential knowledge. It's not, now it's not theoretical. The theoretical is just so that we can stand at the door. The goal is actually to go in the house. Right? That being said, because the goal is actually to go in the house, if you have a person who knows that house, they can just take your hand and put you in the house. You don't have to be, you don't have to be held at the door. Why am I saying all of this? Because maybe in the time of the Prophet them, they don't have to think about, not everyone has to think about these things in the same way. Not everyone has to understand them in the same way and so on and so forth and have all of these details and everything else. Why? Because just them being with the Prophet them automatically enters them into the house and has a major... So there's certain... And, and one of the things that you see in Islamic studies and people believe, Imam al-Muhasibi is one of these people, you know, that, that that is actually also from the sunnah of the Prophet And there are people who have that sunnah of the Prophet And so someone could spend time with them and maybe if you were to sit with them and ask them, you know, all the details of all these things, they wouldn't be able to explain it to you. But if you dealt with them, you'd understand that their heart has all of those things. So the heart is fascinating in that way, you know. And I think that the people who are around the Prophet them, maybe they didn't have the need to go into these things in so much detail and everything else, most of them because they just sit with the Prophet them, and all of it would be taken care of. Uh, obviously they put some work in, it's not like a magic potion or something, but they believe in the Prophet them. they do their salat, they do their obligations, they do all of these things that they're doing, and that's sufficient for them, it rectifies them. Uh, so... Yeah, I some thoughts on that. It's a good, interesting question. Yes. Imran. In terms of effective speech, we know that speaking, saying something bad about somebody that's true is a form of backbite. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to answer that in a second. But even though Marcus left, I'm going to make the announcement for him because I forgot. He came and I think he was going to do it, and then I. Uh... The announcements for tonight. Next Sunday, we have a special event with Imam Sheikh Jihad Zafir. It will be announced soon, inshallah. But next Sunday, we have that. So please intend to come. 
I believe everyone in Southern California knows Sheikh Jihad. Um, and so, Imam Jihad Safir. And then number two is the Ramadan banquet will be on Sunday, March 17th. You probably saw the save the date on that. But save the date on that, March 17th, Sunday. And on Wednesday, there is no class with Sheikh Fuad. Okay, so people, uh, if they need to let anyone know, or if you're Sheikh Fuad class this week, Wednesday, there is no class with him this Wednesday. He's uh, traveling, Hafizahullah. Um, to your question. So we start by defining something. And then the second step afterwards is to know its ruling. Okay. So when you said what you said about backbiting, that's correct. So backbiting is essentially to mention someone else in a way that they wouldn't like. In a bad way that they wouldn't like. Okay. And that's the definition. The general rule for backbiting obviously is it's haram. But there are exceptions to the general rule of backbiting. For example, someone is wronged by someone else, they go to a judge to settle their dispute, and they have to mention the bad things about this person, so the judge can hear it, and they can rule accordingly in the case. I made the announcements, Marcus. Alhamdulillah, you're off the hook. And food is ready, inshallah, or it will be right out. Do you have anything else? Is there anything else? Or? Okay, alhamdulillah. Um, the, uh, so they have to say these things to the judge in order to, uh, for the judge to rule, right? Maybe the person is going to a mufti, and they have to give some of the details to the mufti in order for the mufti to be able to deal with the situation. Maybe they're going to a uh, mediator or a, someone who's helping them to solve some sort of situation. So there's a handful of cases where... There's a handful of cases that are considered to be necessities. And so the backbiting is allowed as an exception for the necessity. And it's allowed to the amount that's needed in order to fulfill the situation. Nothing more. So this will be the first uh, detail on this issue. Second detail on this issue is that sometimes, if we're honest, it's really hard to get out of these situations. Maybe someone's backbiting a lot. Maybe, they, maybe we can't just get away from them because they're like our parent or they're this or that or like we have to talk to them in a certain way and we can't get out of it. And, you know, there's any number of cases. Maybe the person is not well and I'm not able to tell them like, hey, you know, can we not do this right now because it will make them even worse. Um, so there's different cases like that. And those kind of cases would be, they're not a necessity that allows an exception. And they're not technically like a matter of intention. What it becomes in that, in that case is it's a matter of you're stuck between two options, both of them are bad, and you're choosing the less of the two bads. <laughs> and then it's pardoned because it's the less of the two bads. <laughs> but there's different ways that things can be pardoned or, or uh, thought about in that way. So these are all principles in the fiqh that deal with this stuff. So technically that would be a matter of like you're stuck between two darar. If a person is in a situation where they have two bad options in front of them and those are the only two options, they have to choose one of them. 
then they're obligated to choose the least of the bad options. So if you are dealing with someone that, for example, if I defend the person, uh, normally they'll say in the books, of, uh, books, right, if someone's backbiting in front of you, you should defend the person's honor. Okay, but I know if I defend this person right now, the person I'm talking to is going to double down. They're going to do even more backbiting. So what is my better option actually? Just not say anything, let the conversation end and move on. <laughs> so that is less than the other possibilities. And I balancing between two bad situations. And you know, this is life. Not everything is ideal and not everything is perfect. And actually most things aren't. Most things are messy at some level. And we're trying to make the best out of them. And that's okay. Anyone else? Or kumu ila ta'am. We have dinner, inshallah. Alright, bismillah. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu wa la ilaha illa nastaghfiru wa natubu ilayk. Allahumma inna nas'aluka al-huda wa al-tuqa wa al-afaf wa al-ghina. Allahumma stunna bi sidrik al-jameel. Allahumma stunna bi sidrik al-jameel. Allahumma inna nas'aluka al-afu wa al-afiyya wa al-mu'afat al-daima fi al-dini wa al-duni wa al-akhirah. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fi al-akhirati hasana wa qina adhab al-nar. ربنا لا تزغ قلوبنا بعد إذ هديتنا وهب لنا من لدنك رحمة إنك أنت الوهاب ربنا آتنا من لدنك رحمة وهيئ لنا من أمرنا رشدا نصر من الله وفتح قريب وبشر المؤمنين اللهم أرنا الحق حقا وزقنا اتباعه وأرنا الباطل باطلا وزقنا اجتنابه اللهم زقنا حسن خاتمة اللهم زقنا حسن خاتمة اللهم عنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك يا عالم السر منا لا تهلك الستر عنا وعافنا واعف عنا وكن لنا حيث كنا انقذ قلوبنا لك ونبهنا من الغفلة عنك انقذ قلوبنا لك ونبهنا من الغفلة عنك اللهم اجعل آخر كلامنا لا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله عدد كمال الله وكما يليق بكماله سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون والسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين بارك الله فيكم Please enjoy dinner and we look forward to seeing everyone at dinner and next week inshallah too بارك الله فيكم